He tinkered his way in 2010 into launching Cloudflare. Now today, uh, you know, they've raised 182 million bucks, but more importantly is to understand, again, how they've been able to drive growth in an efficient, effective way to solve a real problem. They went from zero to 50 million bucks in their first four and a half years by 2015. Today, again, growing between 50 and 100% year over year, and these are much larger numbers, doing north of 100 million bucks per year today. Again, ARPU in the self-serve market that they've got about 100 bucks in that same cohort, less than 3% gross, gross logo churn per month. When you go to their enterprise cohort, You've gotten well north of 100% uh, yearly net revenue retention, which is healthy, healthy payback period. Team of 700 folks based all around the world, again, focused on security uh, and internet, uh, really internet and shaping the future of what the internet looks like. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Matthew Prince. He's the co-founder and CEO of Cloudflare. Their mission is to help build a better internet. Today, the company runs one of the most, the world's largest networks, powering more than 10 trillion requests per month, nearly 10% of all internet requests, and more than 2.5 billion people worldwide. Matthew, are you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. Thanks, Nathan, for having me on. So my research team put in bold at the top of the notes. They said, Nathan, we read this Scott Sandel Rosewood NEA sandwich story, and you've got to clear the air quickly and ask the question everyone wants to know, which is, what is Matthew's favorite sandwich since he didn't touch him that day? Gosh, I don't, I, I, uh, uh, I don't know what my favorite sandwich is. Maybe, uh, maybe a, a good turkey sandwich um, on some on some good bread. That's San Francisco go. sourdough bread. There you go. There you go. All right, let's jump into Cloudflare. What's the company do, and how do you make money? Is it pure place ass? Yeah, so we 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 have a really simple model where people pay us to help make their whatever they're putting online faster, um, more secure, more reliable, and more efficient. Um, and we we have over ten million uh, web properties, APIs, mobile applications that sit behind our network, and we run a network that literally spans the world, uh, everywhere from not very exotic places like San Jose to Djibouti and uh, all across mainland China. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's been really amazing to watch the company grow. So walk me through kind of the average, you know, someone listening right now, if they want to use you and they're not already, right, what would they pay per month on average? So it really depends. We have a free version of our service uh, that people can get started with. It's really designed for entrepreneurs that are just getting, getting started trying to put something online up to we have companies that pay us over a million, you know, over a million dollars a year. What's that uh, minimum? I'm sorry, a zero. So okay, free, free. There's a free. There's a complete free version of the service, uh, which which we love our our free customers and they're great. Uh, and then it and then it graduates up. So free twenty dollars a month, two hundred dollars a month, and then and then higher from there. If I just because Matthew, I know you have tons of products, tons of different cohorts. I, I don't want to go down every single story. I'm sure you're analyzing all of them. But if I forced it kind of into some kind of average, would you say generally two hundred, three hundred bucks a month, something like that, is fair? 
I think that, yeah, our, our business really splits into two halves. So we have what we think of as our self-service business, which are people who come in, give us a credit card and and pay for the service. And that's going to be around $100 a month on on average. Uh, and then we have what are mid-market and enterprise customers, which we have a traditional uh, enterprise sales team for. And those will be, you know, it, it, it really varies, but sort of starting at $5,000 a month and, and up from there. That's great. I want to put this all on a timeline quickly. Uh, when did you launch the company? We launched the company in September of 2010, so we're coming up on our eighth birthday. 2010, congratulations. You've also raised, you know, chosen to go kind of the raise route versus bootstrapping. How much have you raised to date? $183 million. And, and why did you decide to go down that path? That's obviously a significant amount. There was a, a point where you said, you know what, it's time to raise, let's do it. Well, Cloudflare was, was either going to be kind of a one or a zero. It was either going to be a, uh, a company that didn't work or it was going to be a really big company. And we knew that in order to build uh, what we were doing out, we had to build a global network. So we own equipment in uh, nearly 100 countries uh, around the world, 100, over 150 cities uh, around the world. You're talking and physical, 20- physical hardware. Physical hardware. So we're not running on top of AWS or, or on top of Azure or Google. We actually had to build the network out ourselves. That takes a significant capital expenditure. And so that was something that would have made this a very cost prohibitive business to, to bootstrap. That said, I think we've been incredibly uh, cash efficient. We knew from the beginning that our business was about how can we process a bite of information cheaper than anyone else. And so we've always respected that cash. And, you know, I'm proud that we have still to this day, um, you know, more than half of that still in the bank. Have you leveraged those physical assets to raise non-dilutive capital from traditional banks that understand what physical assets look like? Yeah, we haven't. We haven't as much. Um, we, 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 we experimented with that a little bit. But the challenge with that is that because most of our equipment is deployed outside the United States, it becomes a lot harder to get uh, traditional like equipment financing uh, or otherwise, especially when you're at a smaller scale today where we're at a much larger scale and we can we can actually talk to more sophisticated global banks. Uh, that's been that's been an option that we've explored, but it's it's not something that we have uh, that we've prioritized today. I'd like to dive more into kind of security and really what you guys are focused on from a technical perspective. But first, can you give me a general sense of scale in terms of what you guys are at now in terms of run rate? Um, I mean, I think the only thing that we've said publicly is north of a hundred million dollars, uh, and and we're well north of that now. That's great. And what year did you break that number? Uh, gosh, a couple of years ago now. Um, uh, I don't, I, I can't remember. I think that we, we got to uh, the, the metric I remember is that we went from zero to $50 million in, I think four and a half years, which, um, puts us in some pretty, pretty amazing company with, with companies like Salesforce and Workday and, and others. Yep. So that was, you know, 50 million in ARR by the end of 2015 kind of time frame, right? Yep. That's right. great. Um, I think it was also public. Your last round of finance. Well, when was a, was it public, the valuation, when you passed kind of the billion dollar mark? And what round was that? Do you remember? Um, so we, uh, again, we, you know, I've always thought that that entrepreneurs who brag about how much they raised or, or what their valuation are, it's sort of like if you brag about how big your mortgage is. Um, it, it's, it, it feels sort of distasteful. But we, you know, we've said that we crossed over a billion dollars uh, in valuation in uh, the round that we did in December of 2014. But, you know, one of the things that I think that we've always done is um, we, we don't we don't talk a lot about the money that we raise or, or anything else. So every round that we've done, we've kept secret for at least nine months after we did it. So the round that we that we raised in December of 2014, uh, we actually announced finally in September of, of 2015. So it's, um, you know, I think that 
uh, raising money is 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 sort of a, a necessary part often of building a business like Cloudflare, but it's not necessarily something to be proud of. It just means that you didn't actually generate enough revenue yourself to cover the costs that you had. And so, you know, I, I wish that more people would focus on, you know, how how quickly you've gotten to sort of break even, how quickly have you actually ramped kind of your revenue rates because um, that's that's what really matters for for a business. Let's focus on that. So how fast are you growing today? So we're growing still high double digits um, at at the at the rate that, that we're at, which is uh, which is really 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 um, you know amazing. And Can so, we put a minute max on that and say between fifty and ninety nine percent year over year growth? Is that fair? That's right. That's great. Which again, very difficult at the at the levels you're at. Uh, there was speculation you'd go public in 2017, right? Which you know ultimately, I think you pulled the plans for. Why? When you talk about using capital to drive your growth and your business in an efficient way, uh, whether you considered IPO or not, walk me through the pros and cons of using that in terms of a capital form. Yeah, we certainly weren't considering going public in in 2017, um, and I think that what we're what we're really proud of is that we've built a real business that can be a standalone, uh, sustained business. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we run the business at basically break even, uh, today. And, uh, I, I think that as you get to a certain size, whether you're public or not public, you have a, a responsibility to run your business as if it is a public company. And so making sure that you have the controls in place, that you're doing the right, the right auditing, the right other systems. And so those are things that Matthew, we, there's a lot of bullshit though when you run a public company. It's stuff you have to do that is just like no entrepreneur who's creative thinking about how to solve security issues would ever want to spend a, a moment of, t- of his time thinking about. So I'd, I'd push back on that. I, you know, I think that there, um, there are reasons that you have rules. And if you're taking people's money and if you're taking people's time, especially and trading that for equity in the company, then it's really important that you make sure that you're actually putting in place the systems and controls to, to run that business responsibly. And so I think that, that while it is, it, it absolutely is the case that when you're, you know, there were three of us that started the business in a, in a small office over a nail salon in Palo Alto, California. So, you know, back then it would not have made sense for us to do full KPMG style audits. Yeah. Today, when we're north of $100 million in revenue, we have over 700 employees. Um, it's the right time for you to make sure that you've got, you know, a responsible board with outside directors to make sure that you're going through accounting and, and the procedures that are that are correct, that you're doing full audits. And whether you're a public company or not, there's a time that you, you've got to grow up and, and sort of companies that sort of say we're going to be Peter Pan forever. I, 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 would, I would worry about what's going on behind the scenes there. Yeah, I have had other security companies on that are in the call at 80 to $150 million ARR range. And when I ask them the question about the pros and cons of going public, many of them will articulate one of the, the only big pros they see besides the obvious capital is there's something about being public that communicates trust. And in a business like security, that can potentially help you, you know, land and expand and retain enterprise kinds of customers. Would you generally agree that's the one big upside? And and do you, again, see any big cons to that? I, you know, we haven't had, I, I, I think that that's, that's potentially, you know, something that people say I, that hasn't been something that has held us back. Um, nobody, I mean, maybe there would be some marketing benefit from being public, but, but again, I, I think it's, there's actually a responsibility to an organization, to your investors, to create some liquidity. And I, and I also think that, you know, the it, it's pretty amazing that you could have invested in an Apple or a Microsoft or an Amazon as a public market investor and had there be significant upside from there. I think this sort of 
um, allergy to being a public company is a disservice to public markets uh, generally. And, you know, I, I think we, we, it was probably too easy. I was a, I was a securities attorney back in, in 2000. It was probably too easy to become a public company in the late nineties. It's probably too hard uh, to do it now. And, and you, again, you want to write that, have the right balance between those things, but allowing public market investors and not just, you know, venture capitalists or, or people who are accredited to be able to make angel investments be able to benefit from the in innovation and the wealth that that creates, I think is actually a really important thing for markets generally. Yeah, We recently had David Scott on, who runs obviously four entrepreneurs, a lot of data on SaaS companies, and Brian Halligan at the same time. And they talked about the challenges of deciding which variable pricing axes you would price your tools around based off the value that your users are getting. Uh, you know, when I look at your site, it looks like those metrics for you specifically are a per domain cost. And the second measurable one, it looks like are, are something you've maybe invented or branded called page rules. Um, are those accurate in terms of that's what allows you to kind of figure out how to drive expansion revenue? And how did you decide that those were the key metrics that you could tie pricing to? Yeah. So, I mean, I think great SaaS companies have have three characteristics. They, they have a low cost of customer acquisition. Um, they have low churn. And they have the ability to expand revenue from those existing customers. I'd say we're really good at the first two things. Our custom cost of customer acquisition is is remarkably low. Um, our Wait, churn can you, Matthew, sorry, can you maybe put some kind of number around that? What do you mean remarkably low as a percentage or, or a fixed number? Well, I mean, I, I think that more than half of our business comes from just straight inbound, no marketing involved um, that is built around sort of the halo of the brand, word of mouth and, and otherwise. You know, we on a traditional marketing basis, We've been terrible traditional marketers. Like we've <laughs> been very little on, you know, you don't see Cloudflare billboards on the 101 in San Francisco. You're, you're, we don't spend a lot on on uh, any of the traditional marketing channels. Um, and yet every day, you know, 15,000 new sites sign up uh, for our service, most of whom heard about us with, with, with there were zero uh, customer acquisition costs. Um, you know, as you go up, you know, for our larger customers, we've got we've got sales teams that support those. But our sales team, you know, our our inside sales team is doing uh, on average over one point three million dollars in ACV on a per ramped rep basis, which is which over is what period of time? That's new 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 AR per quarter. Yeah, no, over twelve months, one point three million in new in new AR per year, which I is. See about twice what you would get from uh, a high performing uh, other SaaS company where that's usually around $700,000 per fully ramped rep. Um, and so that's, um, you know, I, we've been very, very efficient at being able to acquire customers. Um, our churn rates are, are very low. Again, it, it varies between the self-service business where um, we don't typically lose to other competitors. Um, if we lose self-service businesses, it's usually because they go out of business. Um, on the enterprise business, well, hold on, know, Matthew. Sorry, on the on the self on the self serve. So, like, I mean, are you? Would you say less than three percent logo churn per month in that cohort? Yeah, that's a, that's around. It, it, that would be around that. And then and then in the and the enterprise business, it's much 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 less than that. You know, and we have negative dollar churn and all the things that you would want from from a from a business like that. I think the weakness that we've had in our business is that our expansion has been something which has been has been more challenging. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is early on, we, we said like, we're competing with hardware where you would buy a firewall, you'd buy a load on-prem kind of thing. Yep. And, and you don't pay more for hardware if you get an attack versus if you don't get an attack. And frankly, if you're charging more when someone gets attacked, that feels a little bit like extortion. Yeah. And so we, um, we said, <laughs> 
we you wanted should, you should have prevented make, that in the first place. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to make uh, our pricing incredibly predictable. And so our original pricing was very, you know, you pay us 200 bucks a month and it doesn't matter how large the attack is. We're going to make sure that you're that you're protected. And so we have had to try to figure out ways to either by adding features uh, or building in things that are usage based to get those to drive expansion. And I think that's that's very much the piece of our business that we're we're figuring out. I think we're better at it in the high end, you know, enterprise and mid market business in the self service business. It's um, it, it's it's been something that we're still working. Well, I, Matt, and look, I've interviewed about three to three B two B SaaS founders. You know, you know, maybe a sub cohort, maybe five percent are actually at your scale. Very rarely do you see a sub one hundred dollar per month price point where net revenue retention breaches hundred percent because the expansion opportunities don't exist. But it sounds like in your enterprise cohort, where you've got the sales machine ramped, you guys are well north of hundred percent net revenue retention annually. Yeah. yeah, that's that's right. But but I think you know there are opportunities for us to do that. I, I think that. You know, we took some things that used to be that people would price on a on a usage base. So we have a, a CDN like product uh, that that traditionally would be based on the sort of bandwidth used. We, we think that that, you know, part of what's disruptive about what we've done is we've made that basically free uh, across across all our plans. That said, um, we now have effectively a private virtual network where we can get packets from one side of the Internet to the other side of the Internet faster, more securely, more reliably and more efficiently than anyone else. And, and that's something that is a really unique asset. And so that's something that we are willing to price on a, on a, uh, on a usage basis. And I, and I think that's those, those new products are what will really drive uh, net expansion dollars for existing our existing customer set. Lifetime value can be a vanity metric. It's very easy to let that number lie to you uh, when you start saying, well, it could be an infinity because our CAC is nothing. And but here's how it works. Do you use lifetime value at all to drive your day-to-day decision-making that are related to products or not really? We, we uh, I mean, to be honest, we haven't as much largely because we have not been as traditional of marketers. You know, lifetime value is a great way to figure out how much you should spend then to acquire uh, a potential customer. And so, you know, it's something that, um, you know, I, I'm sure we calculate as part of as part of the business. We try and try and figure it out. But the the challenge for us has been, I mean, I guess the opportunity has been that since we have not been spending as much on a, on the traditional marketing channel, um, focusing on lifetime value has has been less of uh, sort of the focus for the the first you know eight years of Cloudflare's history. I think going forward, as we're becoming more sophisticated on the marketing channel, that'll be something that we we think about. And then you know part of our challenge is um, it really is one funnel. Like you know sometimes people will start as a free customer. Um, but then they take off like, um, you know, a major ride hailing service in in Europe started um, as a, a free customer as they as they started up. They then graduated to paying us two hundred dollars a month. They now pay us you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And so trying to figure out when someone starts as a free customer, what the lifetime value of that customer is, is I mean, that that obviously is the exception. But getting those exceptions is a lot of what drives our business. About 25% of our mid-market enterprise business actually graduates from the self-service business. Um, and so that it, it really is one funnel. But because there's so much, you know, we're not, our prices aren't 29, 39, 49. And we're sort of trying to, you know, get people to move between that. You know, zero to 20 is a big jump. 20 to 200 is a big jump. 200 to 5,000 is a big jump. 5,000 to, you know, 50,000. 500,000, you know, is a, is a really big jump. And so it's, it, it really is different segments of the business. 
uh, where we're trying to segment it based on the value that we're being able to deliver. 700 people. I assume they're based all over the world. I'm curious at your kind of scale. What are you, what is your direct report? What does your management team look like? How have you structured that? Yeah. So uh, we, you know, the, the way that you, uh, the, the variable that you, uh, turn up or turn down in order to determine how much hierarchy there is in an organization is how many direct reports, uh, can anyone have as a max? Um, if you go to the Harvard Business School, they say the right number is between six and seven. Um, we tend to think that we we hire people who have a little bit more um, self-direction. And so we think the right number is between nine and ten. Um, I've got about nine uh, direct reports uh, to me. Um, my co-founder, Michelle, uh, is is our, you know, is our is our COO. Um, so the people who would, would report to me would be you know, our head of sales, um, uh, the, our, our head of security, our CTO, um, head of product. Um, th- those sorts of those so, those sorts of folks are the other people that report to me, and and again, fairly fairly traditional uh, organization. I, I think we're a little bit flatter than some organizations because again, we've allowed more direct reports per individual than some people do. Yep. Last question here before we wrap up with the famous five: growing through acquisitions. You've done four. How do you think about acquisitions, and and is it something you're looking to ramp up? You're you're currently on the hunt for additional acquisitions. That makes sense. Um, I, I would say that every acquisition that we've done, um, the the first and foremost uh, question is: is there real ta- there is there in, are there individuals and in real talent here who who we feel will be um, uh, will be able to to contribute to the team, fit in with our culture, and, and that would work out. Most of the acquisitions that we've done have been um, aqua hire uh, types of acquisitions. I think we've done um, uh, two that have had. A little bit of a, a technology uh, component uh, to them, but again, still very, very small teams, ten or fewer uh, people as part of that. Uh, nothing so far in order to uh, in order to grow revenue. So I think we're always looking for smart, fully formed teams that we can kind of bring in and that they can then very quickly ramp up. And you know, I, I, there there there's sort of two different ways that you can do technology acquisitions. Um, I think the challenge with most cloud companies is we're so tightly coupled that it's really difficult to um, take an outside product and have it naturally fit into into our ecosystem. So usually when we're doing technology, thinking about technology acquisitions, it's what are things that are in sort of adjacencies that we don't have to deeply integrate into our technology stack, but they could maybe have some sort of uh, benefit uh, on on the side. Uh, lettuce on the hamburger or ketchup on the hamburger or things in the sandwich. Yep, that's yeah. right. Would you, I mean, would as opposed to changing the you know underlying structure of the patty. Yeah. Would you go ever? I mean, it sounds like a malware bites might be a very interesting lettuce to your hamburger, right? You keep the, the pattern structure, but that would obviously be a major deal considering, you know, Marson's funding and, and what their revenue is at. Would you ever go try and pull off a half billion or billion dollar, you know, acquisition like that? Um, I mean, I think it's a very different that that in that particular case is a very different um, uh, sort of animal than we are. I mean, they're they're trying to protect uh, their their buyer would be different. What they're 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 selling what is effectively uh, software that is a, a client software. These are all things that we would be terrible at at doing. Um, so, you know, I, that that in particular doesn't seem like it. That said, you know, there are there are plenty of people that kind of are are around the space. And, and if we thought there was something that could be accretive um, to, to us and, and I mean, we're, we're very rational about, um, you know, if, if we can buy something at, you know, a certain multiple and and that revenue is, is worth a higher multiple for us, then then, you know, that that can make a lot of sense. Um, but generally, I think that we are um, less likely 
to grow through acquisition than we are through uh, products that we develop in-house. Yep. Uh, last round of funding, when was that announced? It was announced in September of 2015, but we closed it in December of 2014. So we kept it secret for nine months. That's great. Yeah. So, so here's what I want to ask you. It's been many years. Uh, don't tell me an amount, but have you already raised capital that you, you have not yet released and you're still keeping it a secret? No. None? None. We None. haven't raised any money since December of 2014. I mean, again, we uh, and, and we have still way more than half that round in, in the bank. So, That's you know, great. we've we have been very um, Michelle and I are little squirrels at heart. And we, uh, <laughs> have a, I, I think a very healthy respect for um, for capital. And one of my jobs is making sure that we don't run out of money. And and uh, the best way to do that is run a great business that that has, you know, high margins. Matthew, are you married? I am. If you went home tonight and told and told your wife and you said, hey, listen, we just turned down a two and a half billion dollar acquisition from Bezos. Does she kill you? No, she'd say, thank God. She No, <laughs> I, every once in a while when I say, you know, gosh, I might want to, although she likes Jeff, but uh, <laughs> the um, uh, no, not no. Uh, when, when, anytime I've, I've sort of said, you know, I think at some point we might sell this. She says, no, you're not allowed to do that because I think she, that she just wants you to have free time and be home, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, she, she's, uh, she works, she works as well, but I think that, that, um, I think that, you know, what we do is, um, you don't, you don't get to do this again. You know, we have, we, uh, we, we're, we're in a pretty privileged position where we get to really influence, uh, internet policy globally. We get to work at a scale, which is just unheard of. Um, you know, we've built a business that is, that is running along and those are, those are things that you don't get to you don't get to do again, and so I think that she thinks that we still have some really good work to do on on things like internet policy. Um, you know, we're, we're, it's it's pretty amazing that you know you think about the a day in a life uh, in my life I, I get to to talk to um, politicians around the world talking about ideas like network neutrality, and and we're, we're really listened to. Um, we we really get to influence um, browser design. Um, you know, we're working on things like encrypted SNI, which closes one of the real privacy uh, holes in the internet. Um, that, that's, um, that's, that, that's pretty rarefied air that, uh, that we get to, that we get to breathe. And, and I think that she's, she's really proud of the work that we're, that we're doing and, and, uh, and, and doesn't, doesn't really think that I could, I could do it again. And, and real quick, sorry, bullish or bearish on things like Bravo, right? These crypto kind of related things in the, in your space. I don't even know what that is, but, um, is that, uh, so, so tell me more what that is. And no, I'll no. Tell you what hey, no, no, it's a, it's obviously a bad question. If it's not on your radar, it would be on your radar if it was important. So we'll skip it over. We'll skip over, but, but generally crypto as it relates to security and decentralization in your space, is it something you're thinking about or no, not really? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, if I wasn't the CEO of Cloudflare, I'd be worried about Cloudflare because because we are, you know, we are a centralizing force. Um, and I think that um, the Internet goes through waves of uh, technology in general goes through waves of, of centralization, decentralization. Jim Barksdale, one of the co-founders of, of Netscape, said there are only two ways to make money in, in technology. Um, you can either bundle or unbundle. And so, you know, I, I think it, it is obvious that there will be um, great forces trying to figure out how to unbundle who the leaders are today and whether that's Cloudflare or Facebook or Google or otherwise um, that, you know, history doesn't stop. And so um, it's something that that we're watching. I think it's smart that, you know, Mark over at, at, at Facebook is is thinking about that. Um, I don't know whether it's going to be crypto in any of the forms that it, it is today, but I do think that something decentralized is, is, uh, 
is important. And, and I think that, that that is likely to be disruptive to uh, a number of, of companies that are that are very successful today, in, including potentially ours. Yep. All right. Let's wrap up here with the famous five quick answers. Number one, favorite business book. Uh, I was a student at Clay Christensen's. And so I think Innovator's Dilemma. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? An off the radar one. Um, off the radar. Uh you know, I, I, um, I mean, I, so I, I really admire Bezos. He's obviously not, not off the radar. But I think the, um, the, the, I think that's um, about the most off. That's about, about the most on the um, radar thing. They, uh, who off the Someone radar? Someone just, they always impress. They always give you something new to think about when you meet, but just no one really knows about them. Um, yeah, the, 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 the founders behind, there's a, there's a company called Scout RFP, um, that they're, they're doing, just incredibly boring work um, on, you know, helping improve the RFP process. I, I love people who do sort of boring companies. I don't do much angel investing, but um, I, I put a little bit of money in, in their company. And um, Stan and Alex over there, I think, are, are just really smart, grinding entrepreneurs that are doing that are doing unsexy work in, in what is a really big space. Number three, what's your favorite online tool? Uh Favorite online tool, Twitter. Twitter. Okay, interesting. A Twitter, Twitter fan. Good. And uh, what's your situation? Oh, sorry, how old are you? I'm how old am I? Forty three, I think. Forty three. And, and how many? Forty four. And that's in, exciting. Uh, in November. Good, good, good. And how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Seven to eight. Any kiddos? Nope. All right. Last question. Take us back to your twenty year old self. What do you wish you knew? Um, I got my twenty year old self is a lot smarter than I am today. Uh. I, I think that you know, don't take yourself so seriously was probably is probably good advice. Um, uh, you know, and and all the sort of weird random hobbies that you have on the side are are uh, are, are actually going to pay off. So 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 keep investing in them because uh, you know tinkering and 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 hacking on things actually uh, turns out to be a pretty pretty useful skill later in life. Guys, there you have it. Cloudflare founder Matthew Tinker. It's important. He tinkered his way in 2010 into launching Cloudflare. Now today, uh, you know, they've raised 182 million bucks, but more importantly is to understand, again, how they've been able to drive growth in an efficient, effective way to solve a real problem. They went from zero to 50 million bucks in their first four and a half years by 2015. Today, again, growing between 50 and 100% year over year. And these are much larger numbers. Is doing north of 100 million bucks per year today. Again, ARPU in the self serve market that they've got about 100 bucks in that same cohort, less than 3% gross, gross logo churn per month. When you go to their enterprise cohort, you've gotten well north of 100% uh, yearly net revenue retention, which is healthy, healthy payback period. Team of 700 folks based all around the world, again, focused on security uh, and internet, uh, really internet and shaping the future of what the internet looks like. Matthew Prince, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks for having me on.